Our reading um, this morning is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, um, verses 1 to 13. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like an, a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Thank you so much, Bex. I just wanted to come up because Bex is moving to London this week. Um, she's just completed uh, some studies in international journalism and is moving to London uh, to pursue opportunities there with a special focus on the Middle East. So do be praying for Bex. So I'm going to pray for Bex and uh, for Jonathan as well as he comes up to preach. Father, we thank you for Bex. Thank you uh, that she's been part of our church family for such a long time. Uh, thank you that she's our sister and our friend. And thank you for um, all that uh, she's been doing to equip herself uh, to, to work for you. And thank you for the studies she's completed and for this opportunity to go and live in London. And we pray that you would open up doors for her to use uh, her journalism studies and to um, yeah, to have an impact, uh, particularly regarding the Middle East. Uh, pray for her as she uh, does, continues to do some nursing work as well, that you would provide all that she needs uh, for her life in London. And please keep her close to you and following where you lead. And we pray for Jonathan uh, too as he comes to um, open up your word to us. Please speak through him by your Holy Spirit and give us ears and hearts to receive what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Sally, and thank you, Bex. Good morning, everybody. Please uh, keep that passage open in front of you, and if you've closed your Bible, please open it again, uh, or please open your device. Much more important for you to be looking at the Bible than me. I'm fading away. The Bible, God's Word, endures forever. So let's please keep our eyes fixed on the Bible. I want you to imagine this morning that you're looking for a new church to call home. 
Uh, some may not need to imagine that because that is what, exactly what you're doing this morning. A student perhaps still looking for a church to settle in for the next few years. Perhaps you've recently moved to the area for work or family reasons. Or maybe you're getting concerned about the direction that your current church is taking. Uh, hopefully not if you're a member here. But um, which of these two imaginary churches would you opt for? Uh, let's call Church A Victory Now Church. Uh, the tagline on their very flashy website is, Join us and be an overcomer as you live your best life now. Uh, you read on and discover there's an on-site coffee shop where you can, quote, connect to our ultra-high-speed Wi-Fi, sip a latte at leisure as you sink into our comfy sofas. This church has many fun activities going on. They promise a very warm welcome on Sundays, much laughter, and a fully immersive worship experience, whatever that might be. Or there's Church B. Let's call that Suffering Now Church. The tagline on their not-so-flashy website is, Sign up to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. Expect to suffer daily on very limited rations as you await a future reward. As you read on, you discover their leader is not lounging around in an on-site coffee shop. No, he's been arrested and is being held in an off-site prison for preaching the gospel. This church expects you to be driven, insists on relentless hard work, and demands 100% single-minded devotion 100% of the time. Well, both are imaginary churches, of course, and taken to the extreme. Personally, I would steer well clear of either of those. But they may help us, I think, to get a feel for something of the tension that Timothy faces as a church leader in Ephesus. Because on the one hand, he has Paul urging him, chapter 1, verse 13, to keep the pattern of sound teaching, which he had taught Timothy, to proclaim a gospel that will involve sometimes, chapter 2, verse 3, suffering, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. On the other hand, there are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, chapter 2, verse 18, have departed from the truth. Which implies, I think, that they used to hold to the truth, the true gospel for which Paul is suffering and chained like a criminal. But look what they're saying now, having departed from the truth. They say, verse 18, that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. They, among others, have turned their back on Paul's suffering now with glory to come gospel. They're preaching a full victory now with no suffering gospel, which, of course, is no gospel at all. Because if the resurrection has already taken place, well, there is no more suffering or sickness or hardship, is there? Because we have it all now. It sounds a little bit like an early version of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that many preachers peddle today. But notice, such teachers destroy the faith of some. And over the years, I have met many casualties of that kind of destructive teaching. People who were promised that if only they would come to Jesus, or if only they had more faith, he would take away all of their troubles and bless them abundantly and fully now in every single way. Uh, when I was a minister in London, there was one church which advertised regularly on Premier Radio, and they were encouraging people to bring all of their bills and their debts to church and to trample on them in the name of Jesus. And then to believe that their debts had been wiped out. It's kind of funny but tragic at the same time, isn't it? You see, the life and immortality brought to life through the gospel that we were thinking about two weeks ago, it is never promised in full now. Oh yes, in the Lord's goodness, we may well get little tasters of the abundant blessing and perfect life that's to come. But Jesus promises his followers very clearly that in this world, 
you will have trouble. And he warns us that whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so one of Paul's key aims in writing to Timothy is to urge him and all believers today to stick with the true, authentic gospel. Not to be deceived by an alternative message which sounds very attractive and will undoubtedly draw in the crowds, but is in reality destructive. And Paul wants us to realize that holding to, living out and passing on this authentic gospel, it's going to involve hard work. Oh, it can be enjoyable, rewarding work too. Of course, there may be some amazing mountaintop experiences. But Paul's gospel never promises a soft, fluffy, sink-into-the-sofa kind of Christianity. There are two key teaching points in this passage to help us stay the course in whatever area the Lord has equipped us for and called us to serve in. To help you and me stick at it, especially when the going gets tough. First, verses 1 to 7, be strengthened by the grace in Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace in Jesus. Look with me at verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Or more literally, as the ESV translation puts it, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is not simply saying to Timothy, be strong. Come on, young man, Grit your teeth, stiff upper lip, brace yourself. If Timothy is uh, somewhat timid and lacking boldness, simply telling him to be strong is hardly going to help him, is it? Now, we saw two weeks ago that it's the Holy Spirit within us that gives us power, love, and self-discipline to live out and proclaim the gospel and to serve others. And in a similar way here, our daily strength comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who's described, of course, over in John's Gospel as being full of grace. Now, we usually think of grace, don't we, in terms of salvation, of how we become a Christian. Uh, We saw in chapter 1, verse 9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And we mostly speak of God's grace in that way, of saving grace. But the Bible also uses this term grace in another way. Related, but different. See, we also need grace to sustain us in our Christian lives and to strengthen us for service. And used in that sense, the word means something like God's undeserved power and equipping. Because receiving grace, God's grace, is not a one-off, never-to-be-repeated event that happens when we first come to faith and then, well, that's it. No, the way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. You and I need God's grace every day, every moment of every day. And that's why back in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul opens his letter, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that is not simply a throwaway greeting. Paul knows that every believer needs a continual stream of God's grace, mercy, and peace if we're to keep going in the Christian life. That's why he closes the letter. You just flick over chapter 4, verse 22. Again, grace be with you all. Now, the particular area of service that Timothy needs strength for is equipping and training others to teach this gospel that brings life and immortality to light. So if you look with me at verse 2, Paul writes, The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's just one verse, 
But Paul manages to cram in four generations to that one verse. The first generation is Paul himself, what he has said in the presence of many witnesses, the content of the authentic gospel, the pattern of sound teaching. Second generation is Timothy, many others too who were taught and instructed by Paul. The third generation is reliable people to whom Timothy is now to entrust this gospel. And the fourth generation is the others that these reliable teachers are then qualified to teach. And so the pattern continues throughout the generations, still today, as we pass on the gospel baton. Now, it's certainly something I feel very passionate about. I want to commit myself to, in however many years the Lord grants me in this role of minister and team leader, to look for reliable people, men and women, who will be qualified to teach others to help equip and train them to become faithful teachers and preachers of this glorious gospel passed down to us from the apostles, ensuring that it's never distorted, never watered down, that we never get distracted by teachings that are not essential for salvation, so that the main things remain the plain things and the plain things are the main things. But you know, it's something that we all need to be committed to at Above Bar Church especially if the Lord has entrusted to you a, a leadership or a teaching role, as an elder perhaps, a home group leader, a GSMA, a youth leader, leading a ministry or a team or a group. Each of us ought to always keep one eye on the future. So be thinking, who are the reliable, trustworthy, faithful people in this group or team or ministry who show the potential to teach or lead others? So those with a humble, teachable spirit who are keen to learn and grow those who are willing to step up when there's a gap or when someone falls ill. I would love to think that in this church, over time, every elder, every home group leader, every GSMA or youth leader, every leader of a ministry group or team is investing in and training up at least one Timothy or Tiffany. But Paul is a realist. He knows that investing in people in this way, especially with all the other demands of day-to-day -day ministry, it will often be really hard work. And there will be discouragements along the way. People that you thought and hoped would be reliable, but who then wander from the truth, or fall in love with this world, or get swept up and blown off course by some weird and wacky teaching. And so Paul urges Timothy, verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's going to be hard work, Timothy. And he then gives him these three pictures, three illustrations from the workplace to help us grasp this reality that gospel ministry is hard work. So he continues first on the theme of the soldier, then there's the athlete and then the farmer. Each suggests devotion and single-minded commitment, and each involves hard work now that leads to a reward to come in the future. Let's think then first about the single-minded soldier. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. A picture a soldier on active duty, serving on the front line in a war zone. Now, that's not too difficult to imagine, of course, is it, with the tragic events that have unfolded this week. But this soldier, is, as shells fall and explode nearby and as bullets whiz past, this soldier is uploading photos to Instagram, watching some funny animal videos, Checking out the football scores, looking for a bargain on eBay, booking some cheap flights to Corfu. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Any good soldier will be fully focused on the battle, determined to please their commanding officer, whose approval will be the reward for their self-denial, for not getting caught up in civilian affairs during a time of war. 
And in a similar way, effective and fruitful gospel ministry calls for undivided devotion and single-minded commitment. A willingness to deny myself certain pleasures now for the fullness of joy to come in the future. To have an attitude that considers others as, as better than myself. Look out for their interests, not only my own. And with the assurance that in the future, I will hear these wonderful words from the Lord Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, of course, let's not forget that a good soldier will also get time away from the front line. According to the UK Ministry of Defence Army website, a soldier gets 30 days of paid annual leave. I was looking up the terms and conditions this week. Not that I've got designs of joining, of course. I think I'm probably way past that. But 30 days of paid annual leave plus bank holidays. If they're away on active operations, they'll get extra time off when they return home too. So please don't misunderstand Paul to be saying that a Christian must be utterly driven, never stop serving, never take a break. No, no, we read this, don't we, alongside other parts of the Bible that clearly encourage us all to take regular rest. That too is essential for every good soldier of Christ Jesus. If I want to please and be useful to my master. Now I've had to learn that the hard way in the past, as I know a number of you here have too. Secondly, there's the rule-keeping athlete. Verse 5, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So an Olympic runner who uh, sets off before the starting gun for a second time or who deliberately trips or obstructs another runner on the racetrack, they will find themselves quickly disqualified from the race and will not be on the podium with a medal. Or, or think of Lance Armstrong. He rose to fame for winning the Tour de France a record seven consecutive times but in 2012 stripped of his titles for taking performance-enhancing drugs. Well, in a similar way, as you and I use our God-given gifts to serve others, we need to do so according to the rules, which I think in this context, it means serving according to biblical principles and also prayerfully developing biblical attitudes, biblical speech, biblical behavior. And for those of us who have responsibility to teach God's word to others in, in whatever context, it will mean that we need to hear Paul's command in verse 15 that we'll look at next time. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. There is a correct way, you see, to handle God's word. There are skills that need to be learned. And those of us entrusted with the awesome privilege and great responsibility of teaching others, let's be praying often. Lord, please give me the ability and the wisdom to correctly handle this passage of Scripture. Remember, it's a matter of life and death. It brings life and immortality to light. And medals are not handed out simply for taking part, not in this race. No, medals only go to those who keep to the pattern of sound teaching, guard the good deposit, and keep the faith. Single-minded soldier, the rule-keeping athlete. Then the final illustration is the hard-working farmer. Uh, verse 6, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Uh, I don't know if you've met many farmers over the course of your life. I've met quite a number over the years. Uh, one when I was being considered for a senior minister role down in a church in Somerset. Uh, a few from caravanning holidays as a child that we uh, often would stay on farms. 
few at county shows. I've uh, met at least one farmer from accidentally straying into his field on a countryside walk. Uh, he was quite an angry farmer. But I've also met some happy farmers, met a few grumpy farmers, met some anxious farmers. I've met quite a few funny farmers. But you know, there's one kind of farmer I've never met. That's a lazy farmer. Because lazy farmers have another name, ex-farmers. You don't last long as a farmer if you're not hard working. Farming is extremely hard work. It involves early mornings, working in all kinds of weather, and generally a lot of grit and determination. But it is worth it because notice the hard-working farmer will be the first to receive a share of the crops. It's a perk of being a farmer, isn't it? You get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. You get to eat and drink your own fresh produce before ever it gets to the shelves of Asda. It's a great perk. Well, in a similar way, don't be surprised if serving God and others feels at times like really hard work. Very often when I'm uh, preaching, God very graciously gives me some personal tuition or a little practical lesson in the passage that I'm about to teach, either the week before or the week after or increasingly in both, actually. And um, this past week, I have to say, serving God and others has felt at times like hard labor. Even preparing to preach, which I usually really enjoy, it was a battle this week. I think it must have aged me too because I came to WOW on Thursday evening and did a Q&A with the children. And when they were asked to uh, guess my age, one of them said 89. <laughs> that did not do my confidence a lot of good, I can assure you. 89? Really? See, I've only been in the role a few months. But then isn't the Lord so good? He knows exactly when we need encouragement and how to bring it. Right in the middle of a difficult week, I heard of someone who was struck and deeply moved by the message of grace from the passage two weeks ago. And, you know, to hear that, it felt rather like the master farmer was feeding this weak and weary farmer a little share of the crops, a little foretaste of the harvest to come. And that thought, that inspired me to pray for you all this week asking that God would strengthen with grace and encourage any other brothers and sisters who right now are really going through it, finding life, work, family, Christian ministry really hard. The Lord knows how to encourage you. Well, reflect on what I'm saying, writes Paul, verse 7, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. You know, in our fast-moving, always-on, performance-driven, instant-everything age, I think we have lost the spiritual discipline of prayerfully reflecting on the Word of God and patiently waiting for the Holy Spirit to give us insight. I personally would have absolutely loved God to zap me with understanding of this passage this week. It would have made my life a whole lot easier. But no, spiritual insight usually comes through patient, prayerful Reflection. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do that in your own Bible reading. Take time to be still and maybe just to meditate on a single verse and ask God to give you insight as you reflect on it. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus. Then secondly, and don't worry, much more briefly, verses 8 to 13, remember Jesus. 
remember Jesus. Verses 8 to 13 provide the theological foundation for our being strengthened by grace. Because in order to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus, we need to remember the work and the word of Jesus. First then, we need to remember his work. Look with me please at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Now when you're reading the Bible for yourself, it's always worth looking for little surprises in the text. Things that strike you as somewhat unexpected. And here, I don't know if you notice that for the first time in this letter, Paul flips Christ Jesus, which he's used seven times so far in the letter. He flips it, you notice, to Jesus Christ. Now, why would he do that at this point? Well, remember, Christ is not the surname of Jesus. It's, it's more like his job title. It points to his divine origin and calling. It means God's Messiah, God's chosen and anointed rescuer. Jesus, of course, is his human name which means God saves. So by flipping them at this specific point, I suggest that Paul might want to stress here the humanity of Jesus. He is a human being, just like you and me. While on earth he got hungry and thirsty. He got tired and needed rest. He grieved over death. He shed tears. And of course, he has been tempted in every way, just as we are but he did not sin. And so when life or ministry feels really difficult, remember Jesus. He really does get it. But remember his pattern of ministry too. The pattern that he established for us of suffering and endurance now, but with great glory and indescribable joy to come. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only does Paul reverse Jesus' title and name to emphasize his humanity, notice he also reverses the order of his life on earth. Because he was descended first from David, wasn't he? Then crucified before being raised from the dead. So again, why does Paul reverse this? Why does he put raised from the dead first? Well, here I suggest that maybe Paul wants to emphasize that in our weakness and human frailty, you and I need the resurrection power of Jesus to enable us to suffer like good soldiers of Christ Jesus so that we will keep the faith and finish the race. This is my gospel, writes Paul, for which, verse 9, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But then secondly, we need to remember his word. End of verse 9, but God's word is not chained. Now, brothers and sisters, don't you find that wonderful? Whatever you are dealing with in your life right now, however hard you may be finding it to keep going in the faith, or to keep going in that difficult marriage, or to keep going as an unmarried person, or to keep serving in that role or ministry that the Lord has equipped you for and appointed you to, even if you may feel restricted by age or disability or circumstance or anxiety or caring for family or the pressures of work or anything else, be encouraged because God's word is never restricted. It is fully unchained and is at work in your life and in the lives of many, many others. And so that seed of God's word that by God's grace you have planted in the lives of friends and family, colleagues and neighbors or to a group of children, youth or adults, 
that word is still at work. It will not return to God empty. Oh, it may look at times as if there's nothing going on. No impact. No obvious interest. People that you pray for may still be in chains, still enslaved to sin, still in trouble, still sick, still in prison. But God's word is not chained. It is unleashed. It is out of the cage. And it has immeasurable Holy Spirit power to tear down strongholds, to bring conviction of sin, and to transform lives. I hope we believe that. Well, see how remembering the word of Christ spurs on this apostle on death row and enables him to endure and persevere in the faith despite everything that he's suffering. Therefore, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Can I say that properly understood, the biblical truth that God chooses and appoints people to be saved should never make us feel that evangelism and sharing our faith is pointless. Quite the opposite. It should fire us up and spur us on to share our faith, to scatter as much gospel seed as we possibly can in the course of our lives, to keep going in the knowledge that God has many people out there, maybe some in here, yet to obtain salvation, yet to receive life and immortality. Well, this little section concludes with one of five trustworthy sayings in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Trustworthy, of course, because whether this is an early hymn, as some suggest, or not, it is recorded for us, I think, as an example of the unchained Word of God. You'll notice it's a very delicate blend of encouragement for the weary, but also warning for potential gospel deserters. Those perhaps who are already beginning to slip away and fall in love with this world. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So yes, it's a stark warning to those who finally disown Jesus and prove on that final day to be faithless, that is, without faith. But I want you to remember this morning that other apostle, Peter. He was faithless, wasn't he? Disowned Jesus at a critical moment, but he was a genuine believer. And the Lord Jesus remained faithful to that wayward sheep. He restored him. He equipped him for service. And if you have fallen into sin this morning, you feel yourself on the edge of gospel desertion, or if you're just feeling really, really weary, I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord Jesus. Ask him to restore you too. He delights to hear that kind of prayer. And he can restore you, he can refresh you, he can equip you for a fresh season of service.